Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome into another episode of Nosebleeds. I am Jack Warner and I am joined alongside by Evan Harkin and Caleb Stein. Now, it's late in the season. I feel like at a certain point, you start clawing for talking points, especially in a long baseball season like the MLB has. But I think today we really do have a solid lineup of things to talk about, things to break down, because even though we're a few days removed from it, this is the first recording of Nosebleeds since the Yankees were mathematically eliminated from this year's MLB playoffs. So we'll have plenty to talk about. Not to mention Adam Wainwright, one of the household names, one of the last pitchers really of our childhood. Um, obviously, aside from you know a lot of you know Scherzer and Verlander and those guys are still going. One of the you know the original workhorse starting pitchers is it's a dying breed at this point, and he's one of the last ones. He had his last start last week and reached his 200th win, which is very exciting. So we'll talk a little bit about that and just how these final few this final week of the season plays out and its significance for playoff standings. But before we get into that, gentlemen, it's early. I, I I'm I'm excited to be here with you guys. If it was just me, I think I would not be excited to be here this early. But how are we how are we feeling? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you know, like you said, we're getting into the playoffs of baseball season, into the the heart of baseball season. I think it's going to be a good playoff this year. I'm looking forward to it. I know a lot of heads probably turned to football recently starting up, but probably turned back into baseball coming up. So good time to talk on Nosebleeds podcast. Feeling good. Got the dunk size coffee in me. Ready to talk. <laughs> ready to talk some ball. Oh, that, oh that's it? That's it, All man. right, shortened. <laughs> that's all that Short, needs to be said. sweet, and to the point. I like it. Well, let's start off uh, in memoriam. For the local team to our wonderful, wonderful university, which is the New York Yankees. I guess officially this past Sunday, even though the odds were already slim, the nail in the coffin was inserted. And the New York Yankees, for the first time since 2016, are eliminated from playoff contention before the end of the regular season. Now, I think to say that this season was a disappointment would be a a huge understatement when you take into account the sheer talent that was on that roster and on top of that it, as much as I would like to sit here and point and laugh as and and Caleb would like to as well given our team allegiances a team that really did experience a lot of bad luck when it comes to overall health and the sustainability of their depth chart? I would, I mean, as much as I hate to say it, I would say 
this has been the unluckiest team this year in the AL East. I think that's pretty clear. When you have a guy like Aaron Judge out for, what was it, a month, month and a half? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a month and a half too long. You can't afford to lose your guy who had a historic season last year, who's pretty much the heart and soul of your of your offensive production. Not to mention two out of your five starters out for a good chunk of the beginning of the beginning of the year as well. And while it's easy to kind of point, like you said, Jack, point and laugh and say, oh, you know, they didn't do what they could have done. They didn't have the resources at all. They weren't. They weren't ninety percent healthy. They were like seventy three percent healthy. Well, one seventy three percent healthy in this division isn't good enough. You have to overproduce. You have to overcompensate. And they just didn't do that. Well, and you knew what the mo of the season was going to be from the very beginning when you had Clark Schmidt, who was you know up until that point, up until this season, had always been you know a piece in your bullpen. You had to throw him out there and start you know have him start games. You had players put in positions because of. Like I said, the the depth chart that you know there was no chance to really ease guys into that. I was talk. We actually talked about it on nosebleeds last week that there were certain things that the Yankees had to try out that there was no like grace period of easing them into. Clark Schmidt, I think, really did have one of the better bounce backs this year and ended up being one of their most reliable guys from about the halfway point in the season onward. But in the early portion of the season, you you practically couldn't pitch him. You couldn't he could you couldn't have him pitch to a left handed hitter. And no, Clark Schmidt. He's definitely one of the, one of the big, you know, good things you can look at as a Yankees fan because mm-hmm. he's come such a long way, like you were saying, Jack. But I think seventy three percent might even be an understatement. I mean, this whole roster seemed to have been hurt for a long period of time during the season. I mean, like you said, besides Aaron Judge, you had Rizzo underperforming. Nobody saw that coming. DJ underperforming. Nobody saw that coming. Sevy coming back being the worst starter in baseball. Nobody saw that coming. So a lot of things you can. Put on Cashman and Boone, but a lot of things you could say, nobody saw that coming, and there's a lot of bad luck, like we've been saying. And then, you know, they ask Aaron Boone after. It was a 7-1, to one, and that's the other thing that sucks, is it's a season that was already quite a letdown, and then just the scene was terrible. The First of all, the fact that they played a game on last Sunday was beyond me. This, this city was underwater. It was raining the entire weekend, but uh, I guess Yankee Stadium has pretty impressive drainage, and proper tarping and that game got played and they would lose seven to one to the Arizona Diamondbacks which was just a terrible terrible sight um we actually sent all three of our Yankees reporters Brian Raybacks Lou Orlando and Will Talent to that game and yeah they sat and watched the Yankees just get absolutely pounded in the rain for three hours and after the game Aaron Boone sounded off on the early exit by saying it sucks that's what you work hard toward all year round, the wintertime spring training on through the season for an opportunity to play in October and, comp- and compete for a championship. So the reality of not being in play sucks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Aaron Boone, he likes to say these things that kind of almost have no meaning in them. They're like, what? I was about to say, it felt kind of blank. Yeah, right. It's like what you, he's supposed to say. It's almost like someone wrote it for him. I mean, his favorite term, uh, it's right ahead of us or... It's right in front of us. It's right in front of us. Right, right like, in what front does that us. mean, yeah. man? What is right in front of us? More injuries. But, <laughs> I mean, besides besides the unluckiness, there was definitely things you have to look at the Yankees organization, the GM and the coach. And look, I mean, they left Josh Donaldson at third base to start the season. A lot of Yankees fans, and they knew that that was a mistake. I mean, Josh Donaldson, the worst player on the Yankees last year. Like, he, he fits the Yankee MO of being too old and too injury prone, which is what all their players are right now. 
John Carlos Stan, Anthony Rizzo, DJ LeMahieu. There's so many players on this team that are old, injury-prone, and they all do the same thing. They all hit for power. So, I mean, you have this one-dimensional team that's just going to end up getting hurt, and you leave guys like that on the roster. That's a mistake from the front office. Not filling left field, big mistake from the front office. We saw that throughout this whole season. So, I mean, uh, there is unluckiness, but there is definitely things you could go back and say, okay, we should have fixed this preseason. Yeah, Giancarlo Stanton batting 190 throughout the season. That's not that's not luck. That's lack of skill. That's getting too old. That's not manufacturing the lineup to support the entire team. It's relying on 2017-2018 form five years too late, and that's just that just wasn't good enough throughout the throughout the season for the Yanks at all. Well, and you know, I was actually talking about this, believe it or not, yesterday with uh, Will Talent, one of our Yankees reporters, and. We were having like kind of a funny hypothetical conversation about okay, would you rather have Aaron Judge or would you rather or what we we were playing this kind of fun game where it was like would you rather have Judge or would you rather and then we had to put together like two players together that would equal Judge's AAV and be like would you rather have him or would you rather have these two players? And we ended up getting to the point where it was like okay, would you include a pitcher? Would you not include a pitcher? Would you do two bats, whatever. Don't get me wrong, there are there were several points in the season this year where Yankees pitchers got the doors blown off them but what I think is most interesting to to kind of take apart about this Yankees season in particular is I fully would argue with anybody that the bats fully lost them this season fully threw the season away you had points in the game I they had lack of hitting that played them out of more games than ineffective pitching did and in fact there was many times where pitching left them out was was left out to dry Absolutely. There was a bunch of starts wasted. I mean, you look at Garrett Cole. He's the guy I feel worse for. A guy who oh, had my a God. Cy Young caliber season, and it seemed like every start got wasted. In the press conferences, he was devastated every time. I mean, there were games where the Yankees had one hit, two hits, and the the score was one nothing. They lose that game. They had multiple batters under 200, definitely under 250, 230 for a lot of the season, a lot of their bats. And it's just not a winning formula at all. Starting pitching, no one has an ERA below four except for Garrett Cole yeah. 2.75 and that ju- that's just a statistical showing of how uneven the production was on pitching and you're exactly right offense lost them this season pitching I think probably slightly underperformed you can make the argument that it did what it should have done oh maybe. it definitely it definitely wasn't overly reliable but no but I yeah you're completely right I think it's the the offense that stood out more Well, I think one final point to hit here, because I do think this is an interesting quote. I was reading about this, and I think this is definitely a very, very important question that the Yankees and the Yankees faithful will take into this offseason, was Aaron Judge, who is looked at as the leader of this team, in in my opinion, the best player in the American League, he said that he plans to take a vocal and proactive role this offseason in ensuring the organization trends back to where it was this prior season. He says, it's not going to happen overnight, so we got to hit the ground running, especially when the season ends. We've got a lot to work on, a lot of things to change, and a lot of stuff going on around here that needs to be fixed. I feel like anyone associated with the Yankees hates like addressing specifics. They love just like very... like open-ended statements but anyway with a statement like that from you know the leader of your dugout besides Aaron Boone what 
do you think that that entails for this offseason? What do you think that this Yankees team needs to focus on to not have a repeat of this year? Or is the focus in too many places? I think they definitely have to get younger. I think the biggest thing is getting younger. They started doing that, started bringing up prospects. I thought that was a good move. It was an obvious move. I'm not going to give them you know, too much kudos for that. It sucks that uh, guys like Dominguez are starting to get hurt. But I think they definitely have to get younger. They have to get more one, more two-dimensional, three-dimensional, less one-dimensional of just power hitting, which is something that the Yankees have struggled with since 2018, is having a roster full of power hitters. Uh, hopefully Judge can get his voice out there. I know he has a big voice in that dugout, probably even more than Aaron Boone. The guys in there love him. The organization loves him. Fans love him. So hopefully he can get in there and maybe, you know, it's not going to be up to Aaron Judge. Obviously he can put his his uh, whatever he wants forward to the, the GM. He does what he wants in the end. But the Yankees just need to get younger first, and then they'll start to get better and better. I think what we're looking at throughout the Yankees organization is a mismatch between the front office and Cashman, the coaching staff, obviously led by Boone, and the nine guys on the field led by Aaron Judge. And I think what Aaron Judge is saying here is that there needs to be unity between the three that is productive, that moves the team forward, whether that's focusing on what they have and changing, you know, coaching tactics, if you will. You know, whether it looks like saying, screw anyone above 32, we need young guys, this has to be an entirely new team. Obviously, they would keep Judge. I don't see them... Yeah giving up Judge for, for anything less than, you know, Shohei Otani and 500 million. But I think that's what it is. Like, that's, and you made an, a, a great point there, is that the, the Yankee faithful pretty much is, a, is against, if you will, Cashman, against Boone. They're not against Judge. No. In fact, they're very, very for him. Oh, yeah. And that's why I think Judge is kind of pretty much echoing the exact sentiment as Aaron Boone. But if you put Boone in the same pool, in the same headspace, in the same sort of strategic placement as um, if you put Judge Boone and, and Cashman kind of on the same page there, then it looks completely different. And then Yankee fans are willing to listen, willing to kind of, quote unquote, hear them out a lot more than if it was just Boone and Cashman doing the talk. Right. But how how what I'm I, I do think that's a really interesting angle to look at it from. But the only thing that just kind of confuses me is like. How how included in front office affairs can you really I understand if you have a household name player, right, that you need to keep around, you're gonna you know, you see the jokes online of like the blank check memes where it's like whatever the hell he wants in the in the value of the check. So it's like I understand spoiling your your guy who who, you know, means a lot to your franchise and is and is the face. But like how truly how involved in front office affairs can you really get a player i don't think that involved i, I think it goes more towards um them being in unison kind of like what you said mm. them being together it looks a lot like yankees fans right now are not a fan of boone and cashman it is quite no, the opposite they don't want boone and cashman so which put I, aaron judge up there it looks a little better which sometimes cashman opens like when cashman opens his mouth i understand why Yankee fans give Cashman a really hard time. I mean, not Cashman, sorry, Boone. When right. Boone opens his mouth, I understand why Yankee fans give Boone a very hard time because under most circumstances when he's not saying it's right in front of us or saying I liked how the bats look tonight after they strike out 17 times in a game, um, you know, I think the, the fish rots from the head down, right? And I think it starts with the, you know, 
Aaron Boone has to make a lineup out of the players that are signed to his team that he does not necessarily have all of the say in the world in. So I do think if there is a if there's a main focus of one person who I, I understand fingers can get pointed in several directions, but if there's one that I can think of right now that unanimously a finger should be pointed in their direction, they should be on the hot seat. It's Brian Cashman. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think Aaron Boone is definitely up there. He's made it's definitely Cashman because of the inability to get the right players to start this season. He didn't fill the spots we had to fill. So that's on Cashman. Oh, and the trade deadline. That's definitely on Cashman. Oh, my God. The yeah. trade deadline is mm-hmm. absolutely. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff on Cashman. But Boone's been in this hot seat also for since he's been here, really. I mean, he's been almost carried by these good lineups to having a good record and being in the playoffs and going somewhat deep in the playoffs all these years. But, I mean, you really start to see it now. He's definitely unlucky with the injuries and the players he had. He does not make good decisions late in games. He's actually known for making poor decisions, especially uh, in the infield, outfield aspects, even in the batting aspects, putting the wrong guys up to plate. But definitely in fielding shift positions, he's he's lost games that way. So he hasn't been making good decisions either. I think Yankee fans in the beginning liked his ego and what he was about and what he stood for, but it seems almost fake now. And it's starting trending, trending towards maybe this guy's just a phony. He was carried by a good team. So I think maybe Boone might be in that hot seat a little bit more. Well, and it got to the point this season again where, like, the entertainment didn't even come from the Yankees winning baseball games. It came from Aaron Boone getting rejected. You know, so it's he's definitely a a presence in the household. But uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of open, unanswered questions for the New York Yankees. But I think the presence of those questions is exactly why they're not in the playoffs this year. So whether that is bad news for you, whether that is good news for you, a.k.a. Caleb and I, um, I'm sick of hiding it. We're, we're, we're both jumping up and down. Um, the Yankees, rest in peace to the 2023, 20, actually just 2023 uh, Major League season. Rough year, a playoff you know what? I'm glad. I guess for Yankees fans' sake, it's nice that they didn't have the double whammy. There's still time, but right now it's looking like they won't have the double whammy of no playoffs and the no season under 500 streak. Because it's looking right now. I don't know, though. Actually, wait. They're in the midst of a series in Toronto, aren't they? They are. Okay, wait. Hold on. I want to check this out real quick before we move on. Because, all right, they're three games over. They won. They They beat the Blue Jays last night, which was big. So now they have two left against the Blue Jays and three left against the Royals. So even though this is so ungodly unimportant, gentlemen, do we think that the Yankees remain over 500 to finish the year? I think so. I I I think so. I think so. If they if uh if they do manage to finish over 500 31 years consecutive consecutively they will finish over 500 on the year which is an un that's an insane statistic especially considering even though I was just mocking them Caleb and I as being you know avid Red Sox fans I think we've been alive for several below 500 seasons we're about to be alive for another one at the end of this season but that's besides the point Yankees no playoffs for you this year we're going to move on to again a childhood name of ours a childhood a uh, hero of ours, I should say, moving on to the next stage of his life. Adam Wainwright is retiring after 18 seasons in Major League Baseball, all of which with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Now, last week, Adam Wainwright had his final start 
of his career. I believe he's locked down pretty much until the remainder of the season. He went seven innings. He only gave up a, cu- a couple hits, no runs. So, you know, he gets his 200th win in his final start, which I think is a fun story because a lot of people, especially last year when his age and health sort of came into question, got a little nervous about, you know, would it would it be kind of a blot on his career stats if he didn't reach number 200. So, gentlemen, a long-time name, basically as long as we've all been watching baseball, has, you know, tipped his cap. He has punched in his ticket. He is done. What are we thinking about this? Yeah, it was awesome to see him get his two th- uh, 200th win the other night. You know, you love rooting for guys like that that have just stuck it out, played most of their lives in a sport, especially in the MLB on the same team. Uh, you know, really great to see. But, I mean, uh, it was good to see. But in terms of the Hall of Fame talk we're talking about, I think it's obvious he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. I, he's not a generational player that you put right in that Hall of Fame. I think that's pretty obvious. I think a lot of people would agree with that. But I feel like he should get into the Hall of Fame later in his career. I don't know. I like I like him in the Hall of Fame. I want him to be in the Hall of Fame. Do I think that he will? I'm not sure. I think the lack of a Cy Young is is I think the right, biggest. Right. Plot, it, right? It's backbreaking yes. for a Hall of Fame push. And I think he has the most for, uh, like t- uh, highest ranked votes for Cy Young mm. out of someone who hasn't won. Yeah, he come in second. He's come in second multiple times. Yeah, he's come in second twice and he's come in third three times. Oh. So he's been in the, he's been in the he's been in within the finalists five times. Doesn't mean he won one. Right. I'm not equating to him equating that to him winning one. Um, a career three three five three ERA, 200 wins, 128 losses, 2,202 career strikeouts. So definitely a guy who, if he were to make it, it would be. I I, I wouldn't lie to you because I'm because I'm in favor of it. I I agree with you that on no planet is he a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I am in favor of a pitcher like Adam Wainwright entering the Hall of Fame. But you do, if you are going to advocate for that, you do have to be honest about why. And to me, that is, he was just good enough for just long enough. If this was the exact same Adam Wainwright Wainwright career that we had that concluded in 2019 instead of 2023, no shot. Because, again, he's one of those people that, one of those players, and there's been several throughout sports history, who played just good enough for just long enough. The joke I always make is is Cal Ripken. Is, you know, Cal Ripken set an incredible record with most career games played. I mean, most consecutive games played. But Cal Ripken was one of those guys who played just good enough baseball for just long enough. and And it worked wonders for him. Wainwright, I think, is special in the sense that He's one of the last true workhorse pitchers who the majority of his career a lot of times worked well into the seventh inning, eighth inning, was one of those guys that could you could keep out there who wouldn't leave the mound until he had a de- until the scorer made a decision. Um, and I think that's definitely something valuable. I think you make a good point in that uh, the lack of a Cy Young hurts him. The other thing that does hurt him is, yes, he does have a World Series under his belt when they defeated the Tigers in 08. But was it 08? Yeah, it was 08. 2006. 2006. My apologies. It's early. 2006. Now, he does have that World Series under his belt. He could have had another in 2011 when they defeated the Rangers, but he was injured for that season. So that is, there are, there's there's definitely several what ifs in his resume yeah. that you wonder, like, if something had gone differently, is this a, is this a much 
more sure of ourselves conversation that we're having right now. I mean, he was lights out in 2006. He didn't allow a single run. He was incredible. Absolutely lights out. And that was, obviously, that was, what, the third third year of his career? Second year of his second, career? It was his second year in the league. He was 24. Second year in the league, and he's lights out to give the Cardinals the their first World Series since the 80s. I mean, I again, I want him to be there. He's not first ballot. I think it all has to do, we were talking earlier, earlier off air, on the value that the voting committee has places on being with the same team for 18 years. And a team as historic as the St. Louis Cardinals, I think, gives that experience and that loyalty a leg up as far as the the voting process. So I'm going to say I want yes, and I think yes. I totally agree. I think the the 18 years, same team thing is huge. I think, like you said, Jack, being one of those old school pitchers that can go back go into games that we don't really see anymore. Here's a couple stats that might help him out as well. Second most innings in baseball pitched over the last three seasons. Now he's over 40 years old. Like you said, Jack, 2019, this isn't a conversation but uh, you add that, you add the fact that he's pitched second most in baseball over the past three seasons. So he's not just old. He's not just pitching a couple innings here and there. He's out there pitching, like you said, seven innings, no hit, 200 win games. He also has 114 career postseason innings with a 2.8 ERA. Yeah, he was great in the, great he was in the, great in the playoffs. Here's more my case for Adam Wainwright, and I know I'm basing it off of – I mean, I'm, I will – include Wainwright in this, but I am kind of basing this off somebody else. A lot of times, we've seen it in several different occasions, but the one I'm going to use is the most recent Hall of Fame class in the MLB. We've seen instances where sometimes context of when the player played and what that player contributed changes over time. Again, we all mutually agree, Adam Wainwright is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. No one is advertising him to be so. However, that's not also how Hall of Fame voting works. It's not just, is this guy unanimous? Is this guy just a lock? There's all different sorts of deliberation and and ideas that go into voting for Hall of Fame baseball players. And I'll give you an example because of just how slowly the Hall of Fame works. Fred McGriff, who just got inducted into the Hall of Fame this past year, wasn't really thought of, you know, really thought as a Hall of Famer at all through his voting years. Perspectives changed over time. When he retired, most people found it to be a huge failure that he didn't even reach 500 home runs. A lot of people found it to be the case that, man, you know, that would have been the real cherry on top of his career. That would have been the real ticket punch to Cooperstown. And then when time passes and his voting era passes and 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 more and more years go by and his eligibility is starting to run out new ideas started to come to the forefront of hey Fred McGriff also played at a time where a lot of the best hitters in the league were jamming needles in their arms and he didn't and he almost hit 500 home runs now I understand that there are plenty other hitters that did hit 500 home runs without steroids and I understand that there are plenty other hitters who were great that that didn't get put in the Hall of Fame. And there were also other things that made Fred McGriff great. But my point is, as time went on and new perspectives were added, such as the fact that he played during the steroid era and remained clean and was still a great baseball player, some of that could have been, you never know if some of that wasn't part of eventually saying, hey, we're putting Fred McGriff in the ba- in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Because it took a lot of people off guard. It was like, Oh wow, you know, he was a great ball player. I always remember hearing his name, but right now, I think a very similar adaptation can apply to Adam Wainwright. Where now we're looking at an era of pitchers that 
we're now looking at a point where the MLB, most teams aren't letting a starter go more than five innings. Like if you see us, you know, Garrett Cole, you know, we see him go over five multiple times, but there's not a whole lot of workhorse pitchers. Part of it is because, you know, we're, you know, pitchers are throwing harder than they ever did or they're throwing, you know, more junk pitches than they ever did. They're putting more tax on their arm than they ever did. Fine. But again, as I mentioned earlier when we first started talking about him, Adam Wainwright is one of the last true workhorses that ever we'll, we'll see, and and of our childhood, really. So I think over time you could see, and and this is all hypothetical, but over time you could see the same sort of change in perspective of the look around at what we have now, and this guy was not that, and was still productive, and was still a great pitcher. I think you could see perspectives change. Do I think it'll be in the next? Again, you still need the five-year grace period between retirement and, and and your eligibility to be voted. And then I don't expect him to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So maybe we can meet at our – us three can meet at our 10-year Fordham graduation reunion, and hopefully maybe he's in the Hall of Fame by then. But I do think that that is definitely a possibility. I think we're looking at a, a recon, recontextualization of the MLB in the next five years, almost guaranteed, especially with pitchers averaging – I don't know what the exact stat would be. It would probably be five innings. That was the safe. That was what I thought when I was just yeah. saying. I think that was the safest I could think of. I like five innings, 5.24. And we're also looking at pitchers, especially pitchers, players in general, sticking with the team for four years, moving on. They get the next contract, they move on, right? Which, you know, I kind of makes sense within the context of the league now, but that's going to be, that's what's going to set him apart from other players because he's a dying breed in two major ways. The fact that he went consistently six, seven, eight innings and the fact that he stayed with a franchise, not just any franchise, one of the most historic franchises, I would say top five most iconic franchises in the, in the league. Oh, without a doubt. Top three. I make the, I would make the argument for top three. I'm, they're one of the original. I mean, you you always think back to like when you see baseball pictures in black and white, you saw right. the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Tigers, the Cardinals, you know, a, a couple. I'm trying to think of Brooklyn Dodgers, Brooklyn Dodgers, yeah. New York Giants. New York Giants right. But like, no, I the Cardinals are absolutely an iconic franchise. And that's not. I mean, he's going to be up against people who they're going to have better stats. They're not going to have much better playoff performances than what he had in 06. And they're not going to have 18 years with the same team. I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses at this point, but like the other thing that's tough about Adam Wainwright, especially like arguing for Adam Wainwright, is he also had a significance that I don't think stats could always explain. Because one of the things that always gets used is kind of the floor of, you know, war that, you know, which is a more and more commonly used statistic, which sometimes I really like when it's used and sometimes I actually really despise when it's used. I think as a single season stat, it's the stupidest thing ever. It's it's supposed to it's supposed to reflect the long-term value of a player to their team. Not it, it, it's more of a career long stat than I think it should be a season long stat. But the number that's often used a lot is 52.2 as a war, which is kind of almost like the floor of the Hall of Fame baseball players. And Adam Wainwright is not near that floor. But the other thing is, again, like I said, sometimes there are players who stats don't always reflect their significance. War oftentimes is heavily skewed towards how many strikeouts you get, as a pitcher at least. Strikeouts are a huge factor in calculating a pitcher's war. And 
Adam Wainwright was never a strikeout pitcher. That was never his style. He was a workhorse. He produced outs. So he could absolutely have total success, more success, more success than a pitcher with a higher war than him just because that pitcher struck out more batters than he did. So there's all sorts of different like weird kind of statistical discrepancies that take your your head in all different sorts of directions. And that's what I hope is acknowledged, I guess, when it comes time when the baseball writers have to get together and and vote on a Hall of Fame class because I said I'm in favor, not first ballot, but I'm in favor. I hope that that significance is not lost in just the pursuit of looking for numbers. Yeah, I think the type of guy he is should also help a little bit out. I mean, a guy who's never had a scandal in 18 years. You see all these guys, especially nowadays with all these terrible scandals, sometimes not even scandals, things that they've actually done. And and those guys will even get into the Hall of Fame, some of them. So, I mean, you got to look at the guy he is, the presence he brings to a team, the dugout. You know, it's great for 18 years if you're the Cardinals to say, oh, yeah, Adam will be here again next year. He's great in the playoffs. He could pitch us eight innings into games. You know, he might not be the flashiest of pitchers. He might not have you know, Kershaw strikeouts. He might not be one of those pitchers, but like you said, one of those old school pitchers that you can really rely on. And I hope that goes into consideration when they consider him for the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is all about how you impacted the game in your own way. Adam Wainwright was not a lights out pitcher. That wasn't his style, but he fit his style better than anyone in the last 10 years, 15 years. Was it a very specific style? It was. Was it a style that was emulated by very many others? It wasn't. Was it the popular style? I would argue it wasn't either. But the fact that he did what he knew how to do pretty damn well for pretty damn long and pretty damn consistently, I think puts him in the Hall of Fame for me because that's what that's what the Hall of Fame is about. What did you do with what you were given, with the teams you were given, with the talent you were given, with the style of play that you were given, and how did you impact yourself, your team, your league, baseball in general, your legacy. I think the fact that he's just an all-around guy, that he's an iconic guy, that he's just a lovable legend, especially for Cardinals fans, is what really is the kind of the intangible for putting for putting someone in the Hall of Fame that stats can't, like you said, uh, Jack, that stats can't really uh, record. And I think that's, like, that matters way more than stats. And that's why I think he, he will be in the Hall of Fame. That's what I think is so fascinating about Hall of Fames is how it's, it's used. It, it, it's, they, a lot of people in their arguments, the baseball writers, the people who make the decisions, they try to use objective pieces of material to, to debate with one another. But at the end of the day, it truly is a subjective thing. And I find it so fascinating. But Adam Wainwright, 18 powerful years in Major League Baseball. We salute you. Thank you. Enjoy retirement. All the best. for giving, And, and thank you for giving us unbelievable baseball to watch for pretty much the entirety of our baseball watching lives. So to cap off today's episode, I understand we're late in the season which we kind of, you know, have we joked about off air that, you know, it's it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to pull together talking points when you're this late in the season because, you know, I feel like there's always more headlines when you're in the midst of the season, but everything is truly coming down to the wire here for, you know, playoff seeding, for where, you know, what teams are going to make the cut. 
Right now, the American League is a bloodbath. Our division leaders are as follows. The Baltimore Orioles in the East, the Texas Rangers in the West, and the Minnesota Twins in the Central. Then in our wild card, you have the first wild card spot being held down by the Tampa Bay Rays, followed by the Toronto Blue Jays, followed by holding down the final spot, the Houston Astros. Now, there's only four teams that are still in contention mathematically for the wild card. And that is, like I said, the Rays, the Blue Jays, the Astros, and just missing the cut by half a game. In fact, they have the same amount of losses as the Houston Astros, but they have one less game played than them, is the Seattle Mariners. So you look at the breakdown of this uh, playoff race, and one thing that I think right off the bat you your, your eyes get drawn straight to is we have really never seen this close of a race before on this many teams' behalves at this late in the season, I feel like. Definitely. I, it just adds to the appeal this playoffs bringing and that the playoffs have been bringing for the last couple of years. I really like I really like what they're doing with the wild cards. I think it makes it really interesting, exciting. And I think Houston's a team that a lot of teams don't want to see in the playoffs. I mean, as a Yankees fan, I wouldn't want to see Houston in the playoffs, that's for sure. But that's a battle-tested team. You don't want to see them. I know a lot of teams don't want them to get in. So, I mean, yeah, very exciting stuff leading down to this. We'll see who really gets in. I don't think the Mariners <clears throat> I don't think the Mariners will. They obviously have a decent shot. I think it'll stay, especially in the AL, kind of as it is right now. The NL, that looks really I was gonna say that's yeah. that's where we were headed next. When we're if you, you know, know if you want to do the honors. Well, yeah, sure. I'll I'll take over AL so you can go home, Jack. So, you know, when we got <laughs> when we got Miami half game back, Cincinnati one and a half, and you know, San Diego and San Francisco, they're still technically in there. I don't think I don't think they really have a uh, a practical shot, mm-hmm. but it's I don't know. I mean, obviously, the only team that clinched a wild card spot so far in the NL was was the Red October Phillies that happened last night or or, or two nights ago. Um, that was intense. Yeah, yeah, saw that all over my my Twitter page. So, I think the NL is really where the where the buzz, where the excitement's going to be. I think the AL is pretty much done and dusted. I don't think the Mariners have a shot, even though it's close. I think the Astros are just too good. They're too dominant. They have just much more talent than the Mariners, especially this year, and more. Even though this isn't technically the playoffs, more playoff experience and in, in high pressure situations that the Mariners are pretty much done and dusted there. The only thing though is if there's a scenario in which the Mariners are enabled to take over that final spot, it's right now. They have two more I'm sorry, one more game. It was it was obviously a crucial dropped game in game one of the series, but right now, obviously, tonight they play game three of a three game set with the Astros, which no better way to gain ground in any sort of hunt when you're behind a team than playing them directly because one win is just a full game's gain. It's never a half. Um, now, I did mention just moments ago the Mariners are 85 and 72 and the Astros are 86 and 72. So the Mariners are only a half game back having played one less game this season than the Astros. So a win tonight would actually propel them in front of the Astros, they would have to then defend home turf in a four-game series against the Rangers to close out the year. So, this, truthfully, this this AL West is 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 nuts. It's 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 nuts. Um, I think it gives us a lot to watch. I do agree with you, Caleb, in that. Honestly, I have kind of a two-pronged prediction. I think Seattle wins tonight. I think they overtake Houston 
for like a day max. Um, everyone in Houston gets incredibly, incredibly flustered. And then I don't think Seattle uh, has what it takes to hold down Texas in a four game series at home to at least at least I don't think they have the wins in them to coast themselves to the playoffs. Yeah, I think Texas is the big factor here. I mean, the Astros are playing the Diamondbacks, absolutely not a team you just walk in and beat three games. So, I mean, the Astros have a, a good team to play too, but, I mean, the Texas Rangers are just different, man. I, I don't think they're – I think they're going to really cover the Astros' backs and just put away the Mariners by themselves. I don't think the Astros are going to have to do too much, win one or two of those games, and they'll be right in. But I, I would be surprised if the Astros didn't make noise in the playoffs. And as an Astros hater, hope they don't make the playoffs, but I think they will, and I think they'll make noise. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you guys. I think the one last thing before we before we we cap off this episode, one of the things I think is interesting is the potential that the Yankees and the Red Sox both have as confirmed non-playoff teams to sort of shake things up a little bit. I understand that both teams, I I have no respectful way to put it. Both teams suck, um, but Boston does close off the season with a series against the Orioles. And the Yankees are in the midst right now of a series with the Blue Jays. Now, if the Yankees were to make enough of a dent, they took game one, which was honestly surprising. Um, The Yankees, if they could make enough of a dent in this series with Toronto, hypothetically could drop them. I, I, I don't think they could go as far as dropping them out, but they could drop them to the third spot in the wild card. And the Red Sox are also, if they were able to take enough games from Baltimore, could move Baltimore from the division lead to the wild card in which Tampa Bay would then swap with them. Which I just always find so interesting when you have teams where their season means absolutely nothing anymore. I do wonder if it is ever a conversation in the clubhouse like, hey, I understand that our season's over, but like, let's just go terrorize other teams' successful seasons. Yeah. No, that, it, it's an interesting thought. I mean, they they have annoyance to play for the the Red Sox and the Yankees right now. Is it they've annoyed their fans all year, but now they can annoy some <laughs> other fans. Exactly. They take the take the pain that's usually on their fan base and 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 put it onto another. But that will just about do it for today's episode of Nosebleeds. Thank you very much for joining in with us to talk baseball today. If you want to catch more episodes of Nosebleeds, we will be back next week for WFUV Sports. You can catch Nosebleeds wherever you get podcasts. Thank you so much. Have a great day.